the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's 4 o'clock. Southern California Live on KKLA. I'm Bob Lapine. Glad to have you along on a sunny Thursday afternoon. I don't know if if you have noticed this phenomenon, but it, it does seem like... Um, one of the things that has started to emerge in our culture is um, the the idea that having doubts about your faith is somehow virtuous, noble, that it's a good thing, that it's a positive spiritual indicator. Now, honestly, I think some of this is a backlash against a presentation of the Christian faith that has allowed no room for questioning, no room for doubting. I I think there's a generation of people who would say, when I grew up in church, if you ask a question, you were were moved to the back of the room. You were told uh, not to be a troublemaker. Those weren't good questions. You were only there to affirm what was being taught and don't ask pesky questions. I remember being at church in the ninth grade and being in a, in a class where the, the subject was the, the sovereignty of God and the doctrine of election. And I was 15 years old. I had a bunch of questions about this. And I remember raising my hand and asking a couple of questions and I could tell pretty quickly that the 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 guy who was doing this did not want to be annoyed by pesky questions from a 15-year-old. Well, a lot of people who have that experience walk away thinking, oh, so Christianity can't handle my questions, my doubts, my faith. Maybe there are cracks. Maybe if you ask the right questions, this whole thing collapses like a house of cards. And I think a lot of people who are today deconstructing their evangelical faith a lot of people who are wondering if their if their faith experience as a child is still valid a lot of them may have had an experience where their doubts were dismissed and so this overreaction that has started to happen in our culture is an overreaction that that says bring your doubts it, doubts are good doubts are healthy in fact doubters are are uh, at a higher level of spiritual thinking and there's a problem there too right because you you can't find the verse in the bible the passage in the bible that commends doubting what you find is passages that talk about being of little faith and and call you back to faith call you to belief I want us to spend some time, and by the way, I'd love for you to get in on this conversation. 888-52-TALKS is our number, 
888-253-2557. Two things. I'm wondering if you had an experience like I just described or have had anything like that in your in your walk. But I'm also wondering uh, if you about the doubts you have today about the faith and how you process that. And if you feel safe talking with others at church or in your Christian community about the doubts you're experiencing. I've got a friend who is joining us this hour, Shelby Abbott, who is an author and has spoken to college students for a couple of decades now, working with uh, what was called Campus Crusade for Christ, now Crew. Uh, Shelby has written a book called Doubtless, Doubtless, and it's a book that brings this whole phenomenon of dealing with doubt and how this is playing out in our culture, brings it to light. And I thought this is a good conversation for us to have. So, Shelby, my friend, welcome to Southern California Live. Nice to have you with us. Hey, Bob. Great to talk to you, as always. Yeah, and and this book and this subject is something that has been kind of in, in the front of your uh, of your viewfinder for the last several years as you've worked with college students where uh, doubt is almost seen as virtuous and celebrated, right? Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I've been in campus ministry for 22 years or so, and I've noticed the kind of the trend that's been happening, similar to what you were talking about, just the kind of momentum and speed with which uh, doubt has become this kind of celebrated thing amongst college students, kind of culminating in this one specific conversation I had with two individual college guys who asked me a series of rapid-fire questions, one right after another, and I was like, you know what, if if I'm a betting person, my guess is that they're not alone in this. That happening right alongside my my brother-in-law, who was in the process of deconstructing his faith uh, several years ago, Hmm. and asking him some questions about his process when he was deconstructing, and finding that his doubts were not dealt with in, in, a, in a very healthy way. And so I really wanted to write something that would address not necessarily the apologetics of the faith, because there's tons of stuff that's been written uh, that's way better than what I could do, but kind of the social aspect of doubt and how, if we tackle it well, it could actually lead to a stronger faith as opposed to a weaker one. So I, I hear you saying that some of the, the rise of doubt as a virtue we need to own that because we've not done well helping people process questions or doubts as as a church. Is that right? Absolutely. I'd say that's definitely true. The The days of don't ask that question, we don't ask questions like that, <laughs> has been swept under the rug, and it has come back to bite us, and it, it's biting pretty hard as well. I've noticed that trend amongst young people in particular, and the way that young people value authenticity today, um, they just don't put up with that kind of thing. They'll move on pretty quickly if they're told they're not allowed to ask questions. And so, yeah, there's been this um, kind of backlash to that mentality that has existed in the Church for for quite some time. Well, and and you know, because when somebody comes to you and goes, something I'm struggling with, you know, I'm just— trying to make sense of, I'm trying to process, I don't know what to do with this. It's often around the, the question of how can good, how can bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow pain and suffering in our world? That, that issue is, has always plagued us. But whatever the, the source of doubt is, how, 
uh, how can God know all things? How can God superintend all things? Does he really care? Does he really watch? These kinds of questions when they come and, and you're in youth ministry or you're in campus ministry and somebody brings this up, you feel a pressure to, I've got to plug this leak right now or else tomorrow you're going to be out with the Satan worshipers, right? You felt yeah. that, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a temptation to say, I have to have all the answers. I think people who are in ministry often feel like parents. Like when your kids ask a difficult question, you just feel like you have to answer it or like their entire future is on the line. And that's just one of an improper perspective to have. I think if we don't know the answer, like a, a healthy answer to the question, like what you mentioned, like why do why does why is there evil in the world or something like that? If you don't know, don't fake it or don't try to come up with an answer that you think might, you know, like scratch the itch that they have. A really great answer to a question like that that you don't know the answer to is, I don't know. Let's find out together, and then model putting in the work alongside someone who's doubting and asking those questions. That will get the ball much further down the field than trying to like, piece together some jerry-rigged answer to a question that you're really not even sure of yourself. So let's role-play this a little bit. Let's say that I am a college student with this situation. I come to you and I say, Shelby, something terrible happened. I just got a call from my sister. She's on another college campus. She went to a party last night, and um, she she doesn't remember anything, but she woke up this morning, and she had been violated. She'd been raped, and somebody okay. put something in her drink, and this is terrible. And how am I supposed to believe that there's a good God who watches over all things, and he let this happen to my sister? Um, so, so that kind of question comes your way. What's the right first step? when somebody poses something like that to you? Um, yeah, thanks for um, throwing me just, you know, a really easy <laughs> softball uh, to answer right now. <laughs> um, no, it, I, I've, I've always said that trying to answer emotional questions hmm. with intellectual answers is not going to go very well for you. Yeah, bingo, so, that's so you know, good. Yeah, you want to match emotion with emotion and then... In, in intellect with intellect. And so this specific scenario, I would not try to get on the answer side of stuff. I would mourn with those who mourn. I would weep with those who weep. And I would come alongside her, and I would try to be as helpful as possible by being there for her and, and agreeing that what happened was horrific and wrong, and God is saddened by that. If anything, I would take her to scriptures and show her where um, Lazarus died and Jesus weeping alongside Lazarus' sisters, knowing full well what he was about to do and raise Lazarus from the dead. That's as far as I would go in terms of giving an answer then. Um, and I think that's important, too, because we need to match the, the right answers with the, with the questions that come at us. And so if, however, it's someone who poses a theological question or an intellectual question, and there's really no emotion on the line, that's the time to start getting into the nitty-gritty of how to answer things, quote-unquote, well, in order to uh, help someone intellectually deal with their doubts. Such, such a, a great observation there and such good counsel, because I think those people who think in the middle of an emotional 
uh, moment where somebody is grieving and you, you go, I'm going to fix this by giving you truth. Um, that, that person, who is it that said, you know, they don't, they don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Until we can come alongside and, and be like Job's friends were at first, when they At just first, sat yeah. with him and grieved, that's the right response. In in fact, it wasn't until Job's friends started to say, now let us explain this to you, that things started to go wrong in that whole experience. So so the issue of doubt, um, first of all, if, if I have doubts as as a believer, does that mean there's something defective in my my understanding of who God is and my walk with him? Well, if that's the case, uh, you're looking at pretty much almost uh, a, a very large percentage of biblical characters in the same column. Um, I'd say that doubt is a natural part of, a, of the Christian walk, and if you, if you need biblical examples of that, um, the Psalms in general, like all of them, <laughs> give you a really good biblical example of someone just being honest about what they're wrestling with. Um, I ran across this quote from a pastor who said, the Psalms give us permission to beat on God's chest. And I really love that kind of visceral imagery of what that looked like. Um, But the answer is is no, because doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. Um, Saying that doubt is the same thing as unbelief is tantamount to saying that temptation is the same thing as sin. Hmm. Now, now, temptation can lead to sin, of course, just like doubt can lead to unbelief, but they're not equal to one another. Uh, doubt is something that can come in in your life and then go out, ebb and flow on a pretty consistent basis, depending on what you're wrestling with at the time. But unbelief is an intentional decision that someone comes to where they definitively say, for example, there is no God. And doubt is not the same thing as that. And so it's really important that we define those terms, especially as we're talking about um, helping people as they wrestle with their doubts. If they say, I'm doubting this, don't immediately come to the conclusion that they don't believe God exists anymore, or they don't believe that God is sovereign anymore. That's not necessarily true. Do do you find that there are flashes of or or nagging persistent doubts in your own walk with God that you have to figure out what you're going to do with on a on a somewhat regular basis? You know, I've been uh, gifted the grace of not ever really wrestling with whether or not God exists. And so that kind of foundational doubt that others have wrestled with is legitimate, but that's not one that I've faced. For me personally, um, I have been in a very long season of chronic pain, so I ran, a, I ran a race back in 2009 that herniated a disc in my lower back and has been putting pressure on my sciatic nerve uh, for, gosh, what year is it now? Going on, what, 12, 13 years? Yeah. And so I've dealt with chronic physical pain, and in the midst of that, I have doubted things like, does God actually care about me? Mm-hmm. Does God answer prayer? Is God capable of healing me? Uh, are my prayers just bouncing off the ceiling when I speak them? Those are the kind of doubts that I have wrestled with, like in the area of, specifically in the area of suffering and God's involvement in that. That has led me, by the way, to more a rich, robust, healthy relationship with God, um, and if anything, strengthened my theology as well. But it's been a long process for me. Yeah, so, so talk about how you go from that, 
that moment of the anguish of, so uh, this does not make any sense to me. I'm in pain, and God could fix this, and he's not doing it, and I don't see any any goodness in this, and I'm supposed to believe that he does, but honestly, today, I just don't. How does that, how does that lead you to a, a richer, deeper walk with him? What's the path that takes you there? I think uh, it starts really with understanding that God can take me being mad at him. And I think that in, at least, you know, in the past, I've wrestled with, I've got to be, I've got to wear my church clothes all the time in front of God, and I've got to be most appropriate in front of him. But again, you know, the the Bible really gives us some pretty clear-cut examples of raw reactions to God. Job is one of them, for example. Um, And then the Psalms, like I was talking about before. And so I had to come to this, like, natural conclusion as I read the scriptures that I can be 100% honest with God, and He can take it. He can certainly take me being angry with Him. He could take me doubting Him. He can take me um, wondering whether or not He even gives a rip about me. So I started there. And that really helped me to live in the grace, to be able to be honest about what I was wrestling with instead of trying to fake it or just saying, well, I know God loves me, and I know that God is sovereign, I know you are, but no, I needed to get to a point where I can be completely truthful with the Lord and with others about what I was actually going through, then confess that and build from there. And I found that suffering has giving me the opportunity to not only relate to Christ and his sufferings a little bit more, but understand that most of the time when my theology was what it was before uh, my pain started, I really just wanted to be in a relationship with God for what he could give me. And when that was stripped away, when I wasn't getting kind of uh, the the snack falling from the God vending machine that I was putting my dollar bills of prayer and Bible reading and even vocational work in, and I wasn't getting what I wanted from him, I realized that the problem was me, the problem was not God. God doesn't owe me anything because he's already done everything for me in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when I came to that point and recognized who he was and that he didn't owe me anything because he'd already given me everything... I was able to have a more robust faith, a more robust theology, and really understand that God wanted to be with me in the process, be in relationship with me, alongside of me, and he loved me so much that he simply would not leave me alone. And so that's kind of in a nutshell. There's a lot of nuance in there of, the, of what I've gone through over the last several years. That's kind of like a, a quick recap. Shelby Abbott joining us this afternoon on Southern California Live on KKLA. We're talking about what we do with doubt. He's written a book called Doubt Less, and you're welcome to join us at 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. We'd love to hear about how you deal with doubts. We'd love to hear about the doubts you may be experiencing today and, and just how God's process. And, and again, back to this whole phenomenon, there are people who, who are celebrating doubt as a, as a virtue. And I want to talk more about that. But Shelby, you mentioned uh, not dealing with, with doubts about God's existence. I have found in those moments, and I've had these moments where I just think to myself, okay, is this just how I process life? And this is, I've constructed here a uh, a plausibility system that helps me make sense of the world, but it's it's just my own, you know, I, I've fallen right into it. 
the, the thing, and I've told my kids this over the years, I said, in those moments where I go, is there really a God? I look at a tree. And when I look at a tree, I think to myself, nobody knows how to make one of those. <laughs> we know how to make all kinds of things. We know what the chemical composition of a tree is. We know everything about it scientifically, but we can't go in the lab and make a tree. And I, that's one of those things that I, I just look at a tree and I go, okay, as long as we can't make trees and somebody did and somebody does, that just helps me deal with the reality that that uh, there's something bigger than than just this rock that has a, an evolutionary spiral going on. We're going to take a time out and uh, then take more of your phone calls at 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. Shelby Abbott is our guest this afternoon. We're talking about doubts. We'll continue the conversation on Southern California Live on KKLA. Five five seven. Um, if you're dealing with doubt, or if you've had the experience of uh, doubt being handled poorly when you've brought it up, we'd love to hear your story. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven is the number. And and Shelby, I, I've talked about the kind of the uh, d- doubt being made into a virtue. Is is this just a post evangelical? Uh, pushback is this just people who are trying to show that they're they're not constrained by their their evangelical beliefs of their childhood and so they're they're kind of parading their doubts as a as a, a vindication of their liberty what's going on with it i'd say that's probably true for some people yeah i i mean that's definitely one of those the culture has definitely created an environment where that uh, the celebration of doubt is something that is seen as a virtue. That's definitely not true for everybody, though. I've sincerely sat with many students and many people who are close to me who have doubted, and it has nothing to do with, with virtue signaling at all. It really has to do with authentically wrestling with the scriptures and the claims of Christianity. Um, one of the things that I, that I do try to communicate to students to let them know when it when it comes to the subject of doubt, that it's really not a matter of if you'll wrestle with doubt, but when you'll wrestle with doubt. So just mm-hmm. preparing yourself, knowing that it's going to come up at some point in time in your life, uh, and it'll be varied for everyone. But when it does come in, to not celebrate it, uh, a lot of times people treat doubt as if it's this permanent resident in their home, and I, and I tell them to treat doubt like a house guest. A house guest comes over to your place, they're sleeping on your couch, they're using your bathroom. They're putting dishes in the sink. They're messing things up for a bit. But on Sunday, they're always meant to pack up their stuff and leave. And that's kind of what I say. That's what doubt should be like. It could come into your life and kind of mess things up for a bit, but it's always meant to move on. If, if a house guest came over and set up a, a tent in your living room and refused to go, that would be problematic. Yet that's how we treat doubt sometimes is this kind of like celebration. And really what it's doing is it's messing up the the, the home of your heart. Talk about the, the passage in Scripture where Jesus asks, I forget the exact circumstance, you probably can take us right there, where Jesus in, instructs someone or asks them the question, do you have faith? Do you believe? And the response is, Lord, I believe, 
help my unbelief. What's going on in that passage? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that, uh, you know, a lot of people get hung up on the, the terminology there, because I just said that doubt is not the same thing as unbelief, and so that it's, but it's really a translation thing that, that's working on that part. But I think it's, 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 a, it's a part of Scripture that helps us to go, I'm going to wrestle with things, and it's going to be hard, and as long as I'm honest in that process, to the, you know, this guy is looking at the face of the Savior of mankind, and it's like, I, I, I'm struggling with this help me in that process. And what that really points to is grace. We need help from God when we're doing great, and we need help from God when we're doing horribly. And this man was honest enough to have the faith to say, I'm not there, and I need you to get me there. And Jesus's response, of course, is like, this is, it will be good for you because of the faith that you had. And so in communicating that I'm wrestling with unbelief, really what he's doing is showing faith in the Savior who then rewards him um, by, you know, connecting with him and helping him to see the truth of his situation, that he needs God in the good times and in the bad. Yeah, that's good. 431 on KKLA, Southern California Live. Uh, 888-52-TALKS is the number. Let's go to the phones. Allie is joining us in Burbank. And, Allie, first of all, welcome to uh, to Southern California Live. Thanks for joining us. Hi. It's so nice to actually talk to you. I've heard you on the radio for my entire adult life. So Let's not talk so about how long it's been, all right? Let's go easy on me here, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nevertheless, you've been a big part of our family's life, um, uh, definitely. Um, anyway, it's so interesting. Um, years ago, my husband, um, who was just kind of going some, through some trials in his life, um, just under a tremendous amount of stress, and I think Satan was kind of chipping away at his soul for a little while there. But he was he's a believer, a strong believer, and um, he went to... Uh, my brother, who was in pastoral training at the time in seminary, and said, you know, I was baptized as a baby. I know I'm being called to be baptized as an adult. I need to be obedient. But, man, I'm telling you, something that still hangs me up to today is I still have doubts. And I don't, you know, what does that mean about me? I mean, should I just, should I go ahead and get baptized. I mean, I've given my life over to Christ, but I still sometimes doubt, what does this mean for me? And my brother at the time was like, well, then you're not a Christian. You're still still living off milk. I mean, how dare you? I mean, this is terrible. And he like played um, this pastor's tapes and Christian music for us every time we came over and kind of really condemned my husband. And it was a really horrible source of pain for him, because he was like, man, this is a pastor in training saying oh my that I goodness. can't possibly have doubt. It was really tough. Well, I to say yeah, that so, even so, so how did year, go? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tell well, us how that played out with your husband. Eventually. Yeah. Say it again. Yeah, so, yeah. I was just telling how did he how did he process? Because if somebody who's a pastor in training is saying, well, if you have doubts, you're not a Christian. Did that throw him into a tailspin? It did. It threw my husband and me. I mean, we. it was like, well, no, I mean, 
he had a clear confession of faith, a clear testimony. Um, we were married before, like in a loyally awesome ceremony before the Lord, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, um, you know, and he really, the whole point was, he's coming to my brother saying, I have doubt. Uh, this is, it bothers me. Yeah. How do I handle it? And, and it was just devastating. It was a really tough time for us for so many years. But, okay. you know, my husband, um, he, you know, he just, we kept at it and we were like, and we dove into Bible study together and we've been a part of a really awesome fellowship group. And um, this, a few months ago, he was like, you know, I need to be obedient. So mm. he got baptized and he, so, his testimony was, I've been a Christian. <laughs> so where, where's, would your brother still hold to that same idea that that if you've got doubts, you're not a Christian? You know, it's tough. It's been several years now, and I would say that that is, it's such a sticky situation that, you know, when you've got family members, especially pastors and stuff, mm-hmm. it's really confusing. It's really hard to bring up that subject. Because um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have and, Shelby go ahead and rebuke, rebuke your brother-in-law here, okay? Shelby, go ahead and deliver the rebuke. Give me the dirty work. I'd say, you know what? I'd say uh, thank you for being honest and sharing that that uh, that story with us. I'd say, you know what? I would do actually is I would go straight to the New Testament and show him uh, the life of John the Baptist. Hmm. John the Baptist was the precursor to the Messiah. He was the one who uh, leapt in his mother's womb, recognizing Jesus. Uh, before he was even born. He was the one who pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the one who baptized Jesus. And when he did, the sky opened up and an audible voice of God the Father said, This is my Son. So you would think that John the Baptist would really have no room for doubt when you hear the audible voice of God. Yet at the end of his life, he's in prison. He sends two of his disciples to go to Jesus and say, Ask him if he's the one or if we should expect another. Right. Now, we might read that and go, really? Like, really? You, you're, st- you're, the, you're the guy. You're the one, the voice in the desert calling out that the, the, the Messiah is coming. And yet, you still doubt it? But when I read that, I'm oddly comforted by it, because if John the Baptist, who was supposed to be the guy to make way for Jesus, can doubt still at the end of his life after hearing the audible voice of God, that gives me room to do it as well. That's kind of what I would answer. I think there's a bit of a naivete of saying because you're doubting, uh, you're not a believer. Uh, he's about one uh, suffering bout away from actually changing his mind. Well, and, and what about the the guy who says to Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere, I'll die for you, and six hours later says to the girl by the fire, uh, yeah, I, I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. I mean, yep. you, you talk about crises of faith that's pretty common in in the bible and for those who think if you ever have a doubt then you're not a christian uh ali you you can uh, you can share with well don't bring it up at, at christmas dinner okay but but <laughs> you know i i think you can rest comfortably that um that real christians do wrestle with doubt the point is Shelby, that they wrestle with it. They don't just, as you said, let it take up residence in their life and be the new live-in part of their faith. 
Yeah, I'd say, too, that like the Old Testament gives us a great example of this, too, with with uh, Jacob wrestling with God in uh, Genesis uh, 32, I think. Um, Jacob wrestles with God and asks for his blessing, and at one point, uh, you know, the, the, the Lord touches his hip socket, and it goes out of socket, and then at that point, Jacob, like, clings to his legs, and God says, let me go, for the day is broken, and Jacob says, I won't let you go and let you, unless you bless me. And so mm. he goes from wrestling with God to clinging to God. He mm. goes from struggling with God to embracing him, from fighting him to cherishing him. And that battle gives us a good picture of a wrestling match that we can have with the Lord. It gives us permission to wrestle and then to cling, because it could feel very strange and embarrassing when you're wrestling with doubts, sometimes even hopeless. But Jacob's story kind of reminds us that the, the shift that can come via some sort of hip socket moment initiated by God, uh, it's not going to go on forever. Thank God for His grace that way. So instead of allowing our doubts to kind of consume our faith, we cling to God's legs and really just refuse to let go. We're talking about dealing with our doubts and dealing rightly with them. The number to call is 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. Shelby Abbott is our guest today. We're talking about his book, Doubtless. We'll be back with more of your calls after this timeout. You're listening to Southern California Live on KKLA. Southern California Live on KKLA. It is, uh, what we got? We got uh, 16 minutes before 5 o'clock. We're talking to Shelby Abbott this afternoon about um, about doubt. And uh, Jackie is on the line with us from Compton. Jackie, thanks for joining us on Southern California Live. I think we got you there. Jackie, can we, I think it's on us. There we no, let's go to Jackie. Can we can we pull there you go, Jackie, you're on. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? We can. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay. I I I call this show because I uh, this topic is just really um weighing on my heart. I I've been going through a lot in my life lately, especially the last year. And um I started finding myself doubting about 2 days ago really. Hmm. And I prayed, like, I'm here in the program, and you talk about David, how he cried out to God. Well, that's what I found myself doing. I literally, literally crying, taking a walk and just mm. losing it and just crying. And I hear this, and I'm hearing, it's just so amazing how God answers our prayers, because I, I'm seeing, what I'm, when I'm hearing you talk about, you're talking about John, you're talking about Peter, how they doubt it. So... I feel comforted knowing that it's okay to doubt. And I I just thought it was very important, and I just wanted to call. Mm. And I just wanted to, really, I guess my call is just about to praise the Lord that I heard this today. And I really wasn't even going to listen to this program today because of what I'm going through. But my spirit told me to turn it on, and it was about doubt. And I was like, wow, God. And I just wanted to share this. I praise God. That, that, that's basically all that's, I have to say. That's great, yes. Jackie. I, what what has been fueling your doubt? What's been troubling you? Just, I keep praying to God about, 
I have family problems, and I keep mm. praying to him to bring my family back together. And something always happens. Something always, it just, my, my, my son or my daughter, they just don't want to hear from me. And I get pushed away. And yeah. I just, I'm always praying. I'm trying to, I, my daughter is going through a lot. I don't even think she's a believer anymore. Mm. And I just, I, I get stopped. I get stopped. And that's what's filling me. And I know I got to, I, sometimes I feel like I just need to take a break. You know, God's just telling me to leave it to him. Leave it to him. Let him deal with all these issues. And that's my doubt, that, that, that my prayer is not getting answered when I want it answered. And I know that I'm wrong to think like that. I, 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 God will answer my prayers when he feels it's his timing for everybody, for the right, Shelby, right way. Shelby, let me ask you about this, because unanswered prayer can be one of those things that leads to uh, tremendous doubt in our lives, or the prayers that we pray for months or years that we don't see God doing, how do we process that without defaulting to doubt? Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing, Jackie. Um, I just want to say that the Lord is never repulsed by your doubt. In fact, he's actively willing to pursue you even when you question him. And so it's legitimate. I think that uh, sometimes when God appears silent, um, when we're asking questions or praying, it can feel like this stiff arm from the ethereal realm that God is not listening to us or, or kind of keeping us at, a, at an arm's distance. But rather, I've found that in those moments, often what it is, is an invitation to go deeper in your relationship with Him. Um, I mentioned earlier that God loved me so much that He was, that he was willing to, like, never leave me alone mm-hmm. by not taking my pain away when I felt like He wasn't answering my questions answering my prayers, or, or even answering the way I wanted him to. But in the process, it was an invitation for me to come in deeper and to experience a, a more robust relationship with him. We're not able to see things the way that God sees them. I'm reminded a little bit of when my first daughter was born, and we gave her her first bath, and she screamed the entire time. I took a picture of it, and she was red from head to toe because she had no idea what was going on. And the Lord brought to me in that moment, I was like, she thinks that we're trying to torture her right now. She thinks that we are her enemy right now by trying to bathe her. But in reality, what we're doing is trying to help her to be clean and not be dirty and covered in mess and and not get sick. What we're doing is for her good. She just is not able to comprehend the angles that we are as her parents. If you take that and magnify that by 80 billion and keep on going, that's where we're at. We're the baby in the bathtub, and we don't understand what's happening to us sometimes, but God is able to see things in ways that we're never able to see them, uh, and what we think things that are intended for evil, God intends for good. It's always important to remind ourselves of that. And Jackie, thank you for calling and sharing and letting us uh, praise God with you that that in the midst of your questions and doubts, he had you tune in and uh, and hear what we're talking about today. We we appreciate your call. Dorothy from uh, Eastvale is on with us. Dorothy, welcome to Southern California Live. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for answering my call. I generally don't call in, but this, uh, this was very, very close to my heart. Some years ago, I was going through a whole lot with my ex-husband, he was on drugs and just a lot of things and had moved out of state. So 
uh, I said to myself, you know what? Because I'm asking God to do something uh, to save him, take him out of clean him up and all that. But I saw that it wasn't happening. So what I did, I said, you know what? I'm not serving you anymore because you're not real. You won't do what I ask you to do, and I know that you can because I had been a believer since a child. Mm-hmm. So I knew that he could do it, but he just didn't do it, and he wouldn't do it. And it's something that I wanted so much in my heart for him to do because I knew he could. So I said, you know what? I'm not serving you anymore. I'm not going to, I don't believe in you anymore. I'm not praying anymore. But in the morning, I would get up and I would automatically just start praying. Then I was like, you know what? I would catch myself. Nope, I'm not praying to you. I'm not believing in you. And then I had three children at that time. Um, and my baby was about four and a half months. But I said to myself, this fight is not with my children and God. I'm going to let them say grace. I'm going to let them say their prayers at night. But I'm not serving you. And it was in that deep, desperate time and moment in my life that I was standing in the mirror one morning, still being, I'm not serving you, you're not my God, I'm not praising you, I'm not doing anything because you didn't do what I know you can do, because I knew we could. So I was standing in the mirror, looking in the mirror, combing my hair, and all of a sudden, the 91st Psalms became real to me. He's going to hide me in pavilion. You know, he's my shelter. He's my rock. And at that moment, my heart, I just started crying. And I said, I see you. I see you now. I see you now. I know that you you didn't leave me. I know that you're there. I know, you know, I believe, I, I know that you're real. I know that if you don't, it's not because you cannot, you know. So it was at that moment that we're seeking, because our spirit is still seeking. When people say, well, I don't believe in God anymore, I'm, I'm questioning, God is not afraid of people who do that. He's happy because he said, in the end of the word, it says, early in the morning will I seek you, early will I rise to seek you and find out who you are, you know, and commune with you. But if people don't try to get to that point, you know, sometimes, and my son is right there now, oh, his name is not God, Mama, such and such, but I don't argue with him about the names I told him. I said, this is semantics. <laughs> you know who he is, but I say, I want you to go and find out. Seek him, because he says, seek him, you shall find. That's you know, right. knocking the doors will be open to you. So sometimes if people don't seek, if they don't for their own self and the Spirit, and just know that the Spirit that's already working in us, is, if you seek God, he's going to reveal and he's going to tell you who he is. He yeah. always does. And he wants us, even Dalton Thomas, Every, all the other disciples had seen Jesus, and he wasn't there. He said, well, I don't believe you. Jesus never condemned that man to uh, hell or anything. He showed up. Anytime we're seeking God, wanting to know the truth, and sometimes, yes, even doubting and saying, well, I'm not serving you anymore because I did that. So I can personally say I know that he will. Mm-hmm. So if people are seeking him, he will show up, and he will send someone alongside to help them. Make- That's- that is such a great story, such a great testimony, Dorothy, and I appreciate you calling in and sharing it with us. And, and Shelby, uh, even it, it sounds like Dorothy was having a lover's quarrel with God and was just saying, I'm not talking to you anymore, and God was just patient with her in that. Yeah, 
Dorothy was preaching. I was loving that. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I appreciate her her candor and all of that. Yeah, I think I think one of the things is sometimes in life when things just get bad and naturally as a result of that doubts kind of come to the surface in our hearts. The things that are true don't feel true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God's love, His sovereignty, His grace, His existence is is more real than we can ever fathom, according to the Scriptures. But it certainly doesn't feel that way from time to time. Uh, and I, I'd kind of, you know, respond to that in my own heart with, just because all of those things may not seem to be true, like His love, His grace, His sovereignty, doesn't mean my assumptions are correct. Mm. And in the middle of all that, you know, Dorothy was talking about that uh, when, when uh, you know, Thomas was doubting, and Jesus responded with, Blessed are you who has not seen and yet has believed. Yeah, and it's encouraging to know that when I just don't get it, God is always greater. Shelby Abbott joining us this afternoon. He's written a book called Doubtless. Check it out. And thanks for calling and sharing your stories with us. Shelby, thanks for being here with us. And thanks to all of you who listened this afternoon here on uh, Southern California Live on KKLA. We'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.